on the internet, particularly on uh, YouTube. You can find lots of videos that uh, people, particularly parents, have made uh, for their children to watch um, in the future. Messages that have been recorded um, so that perhaps long after um, that they've died, their instructions, their, their messages of love can still be heard. Rachel Bland, the former BBC News reader, reader who uh, died after a long battle with cancer, very poignantly, she spent the last few months of her life uh, writing her, her memoirs for her, her, for her young son, uh, things that she wanted him to read as he grew up, things that she knew she wouldn't have the opportunity to tell him face to face. I wonder more generally for us this morning, what, what message would you like to pass on to a future generation? If you had five minutes in front of a video camera, what, what message would you give to people who will live a hundred years from now? What would you say to them? What would you want them to know? What would the content of your message be? In the first 35 chapters of the book of Isaiah, we hear the, the prophet Isaiah's message to, to his people, essentially the people who lived where he lived in Jerusalem, in the land of Judah. People who lived during the same time as Isaiah. Yes, at times he does speak to other nations. Sometimes he speaks of things that even today haven't been fulfilled. Most definitely he speaks of things that are relevant to us here today. But primarily his, his audience was first of all those who he was living among. His generation in his city. And his, his message to them was really, was on one level quite straightforward, it was quite blunt. If you've, if you've been here the last few months, we've heard it many times. It was a message that, that God's people had, had turned their back on God, that they'd rebelled against him. And the message was that, that judgment was coming because of that, judgment in the form of the nation of Assyria. Assyria would come down and attack the land of Judah. But Isaiah's message to, to his generation wasn't, wasn't just one of coming judgment. We've seen that it was also a message of hope. That those who trusted in the Lord would be protected and rescued. And we saw a couple of weeks ago when we reached chapter uh, 36 and 37 of this book, how those promises of judgment and protection, how they, how they played out in history. The Assyrian army arrived, captures all the city of Judah, but, but God protects the city of Jerusalem. King Hezekiah trusts in the Lord's promises. And the Lord himself comes and rescues the people as he puts the Assyrian army to death. But we saw last week, chapters um, 38 and 39, how, how there's no immediate happily ever after for the people in Jerusalem. We saw that the people, King Hezekiah, are still subject to, to illness and death. 
And their biggest problem of all, of, of, of sin, of rebellion against God. Hezekiah himself grows, grows proud. This king had done so much good. But we, we read, didn't we, how, how he grew proud. And as the, there's visitors from the land of Babylon, um, envoys from, from Babylon, in, in his pride, he, he shows them all the treasures of the city. Shows them the treasures of his palace. And from that moment on, the, the, the clock is ticking. <laughs> because Babylon, the people of Babylon are going to return. And they're going to take those treasures away. But they're not just going to take the treasures. The people of Jerusalem themselves will be taken. Exiled in a foreign land. Hezekiah is told that his own flesh and blood will one day be forced to serve the king of Babylon in the king's own palace. But all those things are going to happen in the future. That's why we uh, read the last verse that we read uh, last week, chapter 39, verse 8. Hezekiah's rather selfish response to what he's been told. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there'll be peace and security in my lifetime. He kind of thinks, okay, I'm, I'm going to be okay. That, the thing's promised, this, this exile is going to happen in the future. The king's okay. King Hezekiah was okay. The, the people of, of Isaiah's generation, in one sense, would be okay. But future generations would not be. It would take around a hundred years for Isaiah's word to be fulfilled. But the time was coming when the city of Jerusalem would be attacked and destroyed. Its treasures and its people would be taken away to Babylon. Not, not simply because of what King Hezekiah did, not simply because of his pride, but, but because the people during that period would would revert back to, to not trusting in the Lord. Well, once again, that they turn their back on him. In despair and humiliation, the people would be exiled as Isaiah's word would become reality. That's where we're up to. Okay, I know it's a long introduction, but that's where we're up to. Have you got, have you got kind of the flow of the book? The flow of the book. The people, the people have turned their backs on God God has promised judgment on them, but the promise of protection. We, we go on, we go on, we go on in the story. Male messages of judgment, protection, judgment, protection, until we reach the point where the judgment finally comes. The Assyrians arrive, but the faithful few in, in Jerusalem put their trust in the Lord and they're protected. But, but then the people turn their back on God again, and there's a promise that another judgment is going to come, this time in the form of Babylon, this time in the form of, of exile. But there's, there's going to be a gap now. There's going to be a gap before that actually becomes a reality. As I say, it's a long introduction. But I think it's necessary because today we're going to focus on chapters 40 to 48. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to look at um, individual verses as we normally do. But we're just going to look at it as a whole. Because chapter 40 is the start of the second half of the book of Isaiah. And in it, here's the key to understanding what's going on. Isaiah speaks 
not to his generation. Not, not directly to them. Okay, the people of his generation could, could listen. They could, they could take comfort in it, what he said. But the audience, he's really speaking to a future generation. It's a message um, not recorded on, on YouTube. It's a message recorded in God's word. A message spoken to people a hundred years in the future. He's speaking to people who are exiled. He's looking into the future and his word is essentially directed to them. God says, speak a word to people not yet born. To, to the people, how they will feel when they're living in Babylon. And when we understand that, that the, the, the readings uh, just make a little bit more sense. We don't have to wait long to see what the basic message is that God wants to send to a people not yet born who will be exiled in Babylon. Look at chapter 40, page 724. So yeah, this second half of the book begins. Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Isaiah is told, speak words of comfort to my people. Speak, speak tenderly to them. Speak words of comfort to these people who are, who are going to be living in a distant land. When he was commissioned as a, as a prophet in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, um, Isaiah is told by the Lord that, but for the most part, his message will be ignored by the people. The people won't want to hear what he's got to say. He's told also that basically his message is going to be a message of coming judgment. But here it's as if Isaiah is, is recommissioned. Lots of people uh, describe it that way, chapter 40. It's a recommissioning of the prophet. And this time he's told that his, his message essentially isn't just going to be a message of judgment. It's going to be, if he was going to sum it up, here it is. It's a message of comfort. It's a message of hope. It's reasons for hope to replace despair. This message of comfort, Isaiah's told, it's not to be hidden. It's to be proclaimed. It's to be, uh, to be shouted out. Look at verse uh, 6 of chapter 40. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? God, God says, herald this message. Shout out this message. Isaiah says, kind of, okay then, what's... What's the content of the comfort? What have I actually got to say to the people that will be a comfort to them? And the rest of the, the following chapters, essentially it's God describing the, the content of the comfort that's to be said to the people. What, why the people should be comforted. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Going to do it quite briefly. Just going to pick out a few different sections. Four, four big ideas. If you read the, the whole of these um, chapters, maybe you'll have the chance to do that later. I think you'll see there's there's various big ideas that come out. Reasons for the people to feel comforted. Reasons for for hope to replace despair. 
and we're going to look at them this morning. As we do that, we're going to see something really amazing. We're going to see that although these words of comfort were spoken by Isaiah, primarily, firstly, to people who were going to live a hundred years after him, we're going to see that the same words of comfort are words of comfort for us. We'll see how each message of comfort can be applied to us through the Lord Jesus. I'm going to do that quite quickly. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. And the reason I'm not going to go into a lot of detail is because in the New Testament, the New Testament writers, the writers of the gospel, the people like Paul and, and Peter too, they take these chapters and they apply them directly to, to Christians. They apply them directly to the Lord Jesus, the ultimate sense of comfort, source of comfort. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to say what the comfort was for the people, and then I'm going to show how later on Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate one in whom Isaiah's promises make sense and are ultimately fulfilled. If you're feeling far from God this morning, if you're feeling guilty, if you're lacking hope, if you're feeling weighed down with life, if you're feeling uncertain about the future, listen to what the Lord speaks tenderly to you. Listen to his words of comfort. Firstly then, let's note that Isaiah is told to comfort the people by assuring them that the Lord will return his people from exile. There should be some headings on, on your sheet up there on the screen as well. The Lord will return his people from exile. Have you ever felt really homesick? I remember once in a, um, in a former job, I had to go away for a week somewhere. It was a really pleasant place. I won't say where it where it was. I don't want to offend anyone who actually comes from that place because I know some of you do. But it was, um, it was, a, it was a great place to, to be, but I really didn't want to be there. For, for various reasons, I just wanted to be home. The people of Jerusalem, oh, they longed to be home when they lived in Babylon. Psalm 132, by the rivers of Babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. That they're in Babylon. <laughs> they're there by the rivers. People say to them, come on, sing us a song. And all they can do is cry. Because they just want to be home. <laughs> they just want to be home in Jerusalem. Where the temple was. Maybe they're thinking about how humiliated they felt as they left that place where all their kind of hopes and, and promises were all kind of be centered on. Know this comfort, shouts Isaiah down the centuries to the exile. Take, take comfort from this, he shouts. The Lord will take you home. Chapter uh, 45, we haven't really got time to look at it. In chapter 45, you can look at it later, we read how the Lord is going to use King Cyrus of Persia as the means by which the Babylonians will one day be defeated and God's people will return to Jerusalem. 
Isaiah shouts down the, down the centuries. God's got, God's got history, he's, he's got it mapped out. Isaiah can speak of a king who was not yet born when he spoke these words originally. God will take his people home. We get that idea also in chapter 40. In fact, we get it in various places, but just turn back to chapter 40. Forget about HS2 or improvements on the M27. Look at verse 3. The Lord has got a bigger project, a bigger plan in mind. He's going to make a super highway, a super highway that he will travel down. And I think the image is he's going to travel down. He's going to take the people back to himself. That's the big idea. That's the picture. A super highway. God's going to come down it and he's going to bring the people. He's going to travel down, collect the people, bring them back to them to himself. And in doing so, his glory will be revealed to the nations. Verse 5. The Lord is going to be like a shepherd to his people. Verse 11 of chapter 40. Look at verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. It's a powerful picture. That the, the Lord, the good shepherd, gathering his people, rescuing them, holding them tight, gathering them to himself. But the comfort isn't just, <laughs> isn't just, that the exiled people will, will one day go home to Jerusalem, that the Lord's going to gather them back. The comfort is also this, that they will go home as God's people, as the flock. Even after all that they've done, <laughs> even after all the way that they've turned their back on him. Look at verse 1 again. Comforts, comforts. My people. My people. It's what Isaiah shouts down the centuries to people who had turned their back on the Lord, who were there because of what they'd done. You're still my people. I'm still committed to you, says the Lord. You might know the verses uh, 3 and 5 of chapter 40. It's used to describe John the Baptist. John, John got things ready. He, he prepared the way for the birth of Jesus, a voice in the wilderness. He, he was shouting out, Jesus is coming. A way back to God is coming. And in Jesus, all the, all the messages of, all the promises of God gathering a people to himself come to life. Jesus promises that one day he'll gather all his people around himself. They'll enjoy him, know him forever. We, we, we get a little taste of it now. In fact, we get a little taste of it this morning as, as we gather together as God's people. But God's got a bigger plan. If you feel far off from God this morning, if you just want to be home, if you feel sometimes this, isn't, <laughs> this world isn't really where you belong, you're, in a sense, if you trust in Jesus, you're right. Your, your home is with the Lord Jesus. 
It's with the Lord's people. And one day you will be there. And be assured too that despite our, <laughs> despite our failures, despite our sin, you know what? God looks at us and he still sees us as his people. As we trust in the Lord Jesus, despite all the things, all the times we let him down, he still looks at us and calls us his own through Jesus. Second cause for comfort is this, the Lord will forgive their sins. The biggest issue for the exiles wasn't simply that they were living in Babylon, it was that like every generation, they, they, they were sinners, they, they, they turned their back on God, they rejected his word, they didn't live as they should. Now, Isaiah addresses this. He gives them words of comfort. I, it's a very, dis, very different from the a message of comfort that, that might be spoken today. Often we, in our culture, we, we deal with the problem of, of sin by, by a false message of comfort. I don't, you know, don't worry, you've not done anything wrong. You're, 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 you're nice people. Just just, um, just, be true to yourself and it will all be okay. That's false comfort. Isaiah offers true comfort. He says very boldly to the people, very plainly, you are still sinners. You still do things that are very wrong. Look at, look at chapter 43. Verse 20, we, um, we read it earlier, chapter 43. He, he, Isaiah lists some of the things that the, that the people continue to do. Verse 24, the Lord speaking, but you have burdened me with your sins. You've, you've wearied me with your offenses. The people, the people will continue to sin. But here's the word of comfort, verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own name's sake and remembers your sins no more. It's the only thing that the Lord will forget. He'll, he'll forget our sins. <laughs> he'll, he'll treat us as if they, they never happened. They won't be held against his people. Chapter 40 also uh, speaks of that idea, how the people's sins will be, no longer be, be held against them. Verse, verse 2 and 3, um, oh, actually verse 2 mainly, it's possible to read it the slightly wrong way. I'd speak to me later about it. If you read some other translations, it, it comes across slightly differently. Here, it, it can, can sound like as if the law has been particularly harsh on the people, but that isn't the idea at all. Speak tenderly to the people, proclaim to her that the hard service has been completed. Her, her sin has been paid for. There's been a payment for the people's sin. That the, the sin has been dealt with. She'd received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. You know when a, when a child paints a, a picture of a butterfly and they kind of get the paint out and they, they only kind of have to paint one side, and then you, you fold the paper over, and then there's an exact match. 
Well, that, that, the original Hebrew word for double, it's that kind of idea. That there's a, there's a match-up. The, 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 the punishment fits the crime, if you like. There, there's a, that what, what's happened um, in terms of judgment fits what the, what the people have done. There's a, there's a correspondence, that's the idea. We'll have to wait a few chapters, maybe until chapter 53, to, dis- to discover what the, the payment for sin actually was, how the punishment fitted the crime, what the actual means of forgiveness was. Isaiah doesn't reveal it here. But when we reach chapter 53, we're told that actually it's the Lord's servant who's going to make the payment. It's the Lord's servant who's going to take the punishment. An exact match for what the people have done. And we know that ultimately our sin is forgiven through the Lord Jesus. He who takes our sin and who makes it his own. And who on the cross died for, for our sin, not for his own. An exact match of the punishment that we deserved fell on him. Do you feel the weight of your sin sometimes? Do you feel sometimes that you've gone too, too far away to know God's forgiveness? Then listen to these words of comfort. Through the Lord Jesus, all of your sins have been dealt with. The third message of comfort is this, the Lord will send his servant. In in Isaiah, uh, time and time again, the the people of Israel, the people of Judah are referred to as the Lord's servant. Have a look at uh, chapter 41, flick over there, Uh, verse 8, page 727. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, who I've chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friends. I look from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Time and time again, the people, the people of Judah, the people of Israel, are described as the Lord's servant. But as we, uh, as we go on in the book of Isaiah, we see that the people of Israel, they... They weren't faithful servants. A servant is someone who who listens to the master and does what their master asks, but the people just couldn't do that. History had had proved it. They were unfaithful servants. Again, just flick over to chapter 42, verse 18. Hear you deaf, look you blind and see. Who is blind but my servant? And deaf like the messenger I sent. Who is blind like the one in covenant with me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. Do you you get the message? God's people, they were meant to be a servant of God. They were meant to serve him, obey him, do his will. But they couldn't do it. (laughs) They they, they were blind and, and deaf. They were continually letting God down. 
Last year, I read the autobiography of Kevin Keegan. If you don't know, he was a manager of the England football team. Unlike many England football managers, he wasn't sacked. Uh, he resigned from his role. He resigned after England had lost a particular game. Uh, it was an important match. And straight away afterwards, he announced um, that he wanted to resign. And it was quite a mu- moving um, uh, resignation. He basically said, I'm not good enough for this, this role. I, I, can't, uh, I can't carry it out. He, he admitted that he knew his own limitations and that he wasn't really fit for the job. And so a new manager had to be found. As we read the book of Isaiah, we see that God's people are aware that they, <laughs> they can't really carry out the role of being the Lord's servant. They, they don't exactly resign from the role, but it's clear that a new servant is needed. And as, as we read on in Isaiah, as we read these chapters, as we read in the coming weeks, we're going to see that the Lord has a plan to raise up a new servant, someone who will be perfectly faithful, a, a super servant. There's a transition from the, the servant nation who couldn't carry out the Lord's will to a servant individual. One more reading, look at chapter 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Do you see the movement? That the servant's moving from a nation to an individual. And this individual is going to be faithful. He's going to have the Lord's spirit on him. And he's going to be perfectly faithful to the Lord, perfectly obedient to him. And we know, of course, who that servant ultimately was. Was, of course, the Lord Jesus. Do you need to hear that comfort this morning? Do you feel sometimes that you're always letting God down? Are you, are you aware of your own limitations, your own shortcomings in serving the Lord? Then hear these words of comfort. The Lord has, has raised up a super servant, the Lord Jesus, who, who lived the life that we couldn't live. Jesus didn't just take our sins away. He lived a perfect life for us on our behalf. Finally, let's see. The final message of comfort is this, that the Lord is, is superior to all false gods. Time and time again in these chapters, the, the Lord God is contrasted with the idols of other nations. There really is no comparison at all, to be fair. The Lord's described in various ways as the creator, the one who knows all things, the one who's all-powerful, the one who actually is beyond comparison. The idols and the false gods, they're, they're described as literally being nothing. They can do no good. They're, they're simply made by people. They are useless. God's people needed to to hear those words of comfort as they lived in, in Babylon. They needed to know that the gods that were worshipped in Babylon were, were no match for the true God. Chapter uh, 46. 
page 734. Uh, the beginning of that chapter, the gods Bel and Nebo, they, they were the gods of Babylon. Gods that the people there worshipped. And, and in these verses, verses 1 to 4, there's a, a really brilliant picture that Isaiah paints. Okay, And I want us just to think of this image just for a moment as we draw to a close. Here's the image that he wants us to get. Gods, the, the false gods, gods like Bel and Nebo, they, they have to be carried around. That They are burdensome gods. If, if the people want to pray to Nebo, they've got to pick him up. They've got to pick his little idol up. And they've got to walk around with it. And he's heavy. And when you're moving around, it's difficult. And the, the people are burdened by it. They have to, to carry their gods around with them. Think of the picture that he's painting. That's what the false gods are like. You need to carry them. They're hard work. They're burdensome. And then contrast it with what he says about the Lord. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, verse 3 all the remnant of the people of Israel, of whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried you since you were born. Even in your old age and grey hairs, I am he, I will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. See the contrast? (laughs) The, the false gods, they need to be carried. They're, they're burdensome. People have got to walk around with them and it's hard work. But the Lord God, he's the one who, who carries his people, who cares for his people. It's a brilliant picture. As we draw to a close, do you know, false gods... They are still burdensome today. Gods that people think will make them happy. Gods that people think will look after them. Gods that are worshipped by many, maybe even sometimes us. They're hard work. God of popularity. It's a popular God today. Maybe some of us worship that God. Wanting to be loved. Wanting to be popular. And it's a hard God to serve. Trying to please people all of the time. Always trying to to think and and say the right thing so that you remain popular and and loved. It's, It's a burden, isn't it? It's hard to carry. The gods of money and success, they're burdensome gods to worship. Because you're always striving for that extra 10%. Always trying to get one step ahead of your neighbours. You, know, you just have that thing done and then your neighbours, they buy a new car and then you've got to kind of upgrade. It's, it's a hard work. Serving the God of success. Appearance. Health. Very popular gods today. But they're burdensome, aren't they? Constantly trying to 
to look your best, to stay, to stay fit. It's hard work. It's hard work. Believe me, it gets harder when you get older. It's hard. It's like this big burden that you've got to carry around. All false gods, all false gods are always hard work. If you fix your, your affection on a false god, it's always burdensome for you. But the Lord isn't. Jesus isn't. You know what Jesus says? Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 28. Let me read these to you. This is what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary, burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, says Jesus. Come to me. (laughs) Stop carrying those false gods around, those burdens. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. We're going to pray. As we pray, we're just going to reflect on those words of of comfort. I'm going to remind us each of them. Maybe just thank God for those words of comfort spoken by Isaiah to his people, to that generation, that next generation, but words of comfort spoken to us through the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for those words of comfort that you will gather your people to yourself. Thank you that that even though we so often let you down, you still, through the Lord Jesus, consider us your own. Thank you that you hold history in your hands and you've got a purpose and a plan. You will one day bring all your people to be with you forever. Thank you for that message of comfort that you forgive your people of their sins. That you don't pretend they didn't happen. You don't pretend they're not real. But in your grace, in your kindness, through the Lord Jesus, you offer complete forgiveness. Help us to hear those words of comfort this morning. Thank you that the Lord Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live as the perfect, faithful servant. Thank you that our our rightness is found not not in our works, but in his work. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are, that you are gentle and you're not burdensome. We realize that that serving other gods is hard work. So help us to come to you and to know your comfort and to know your rest. Lord, we thank you for these words of comfort. Help us to live in the light of them today and every day. Amen.